Welcome to Sunday Night Church here, Broadway Baptist Church. I'm so glad you and your family are able to worship with us here. It is July 5th, the day after 4th of July. So this is our 4th of July weekend, a day we celebrate our independence, a special day that we remember our freedom for being Americans. You know, our country was founded on religious, on religious liberty. Pilgrims came over here in 1620. They came from England. And they came here as English separatists to come to a country that they could worship the Lord freely. So we should never take advantage and take for granted the opportunity for us to meet together, even if it's online, to meet together to worship. That's what it means to be an American. And there's no better book for our nation to be founded on than God's word. And I've shared it so many times. If you go to that Boston Latin school, the very first school, it's still a public school in Boston. Do you know that school was started to teach children how to read? And do you know what book they were reading? They were reading the Bible. They went to school. The very first textbook used in public education here in the United States of America was this book right here. I'm holding my hand. It's the Bible. So I want you to go ahead and pull out your Bible. We are studying Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 35. And the, what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at God's control during uncertain circumstances. God's control during uncertain circumstances. Obviously now there's great uncircumstances going on and many of our lives, but we need to always remember God is in control. And here we're going to see a passage about Paul. We're going through Acts of the Apostles. Paul here, he had circumstances that he did not have control of. So I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles. Acts, verse, Acts chapter 23, verse 12. We'll read it up here on the board. When it was morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. What a great way to start your morning. Paul here, he is in Jerusalem. He's under, he's in custody, in Roman custody. But the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, they did not like Paul. So what do they do? They decide, all right, I'm not going to take another drink of water. I'm not going to eat another bite of food until Paul is dead. What a fast. Most people fast to have a closeness with God. Most people fast to draw in their intimacy, to spend that time from eating, to give it to the Lord. But these people fast to kill someone. Could you imagine fasting for someone to die? But that's what's going on here in the Bible against Paul. That's their morning time fast. There were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priest. And the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander that he bring him down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. But before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. You know, the same Sanhedrin is the group that tried Jesus. They killed Jesus. They tried to kill Peter. They tried to kill John. They did kill James. I mean, it was just one after another, a murderous group. The way the Sanhedrin worked, 
they didn't like you, they didn't agree with you, you didn't respect them, they killed you. So next, they are trying to get rid of Paul. Everybody has to go before the Sanhedrin. So then it goes on to say here, in verse 16, this is Paul's family. We don't know much about Paul's family. This is the only verse in the Bible about Paul's family. But the son of Paul's sister, that would be his nephew. Paul apparently had a sister that was there in Jerusalem. That's where we're right here in Jerusalem. Hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to you. Verse 18, so he took him, brought him to the commander and said, The prisoner Paul has called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. Verse 19, the commander took him by the hand, led him aside and inquired privately, What is it you have to report to me? Verse 20, the Jews said, <clears throat> he said, We have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they are going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. So it's kind of a fake meeting, as if they're going, they need to talk to Paul some more, some more details. But don't, but don't let them persuade you, because there are more than 40 of them lying in ambush, men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they have killed him. Now they are ready, waiting for your consent. Verse 22. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. So this, what happens here? This is awful circumstances for Paul. People are fasting. They have taken a curse to the Lord to kill this man. Now these Jews knew what the Sixth Commandment said. The Sixth Commandment is, thou shalt not kill. They took it upon themselves that they are bound to determine to kill Paul. I think the powerful thing about this, God uses unlikely people. And the unlikely person, Paul had a sister. We didn't even know about her in the Bible. Apparently, his sister had a son, which would have meant Paul's nephew. Paul's nephew somehow overheard about this plot. And he goes and reports it to Paul. Paul reports it to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin reports it, we see it, we'll see here later on. His name is Claudius Silas, who then is going to realize we need to make, we need to intervene and keep Paul safe. Because if you have to remember, the Roman centurion, the Roman authority, his main job is to keep the prisoner alive. He didn't want mob rule. He didn't want uh, people just ambushing one another because that's on his that's lawlessness, that wouldn't make him look good. And I think what happens, the biblical principle in our life, and what God's speaking to you about this evening, is that he uses unlikely people, people who we would not expect, a little boy who's a nephew, who hears about it. Who could God be using in your life? Someone that you don't, you know, someone maybe you don't know that well or maybe have a lot of respect for, but God is using that person and wants to teach you about himself. Look here. I have a little quote up here. Paul's sister and nephew mentioned here is the only mention 
of Paul's family in the New Testament. Do you know some people talk about their family all the time? Other people are on the other side, and they never talk to their family. And then, you know, Paul would probably be in that camp. You just didn't know a lot about uh, a lot about their family. I'm probably in that camp too. I'm the type of guy that I don't call my parents as frequently as I should. I've shared the story before. When I married Sherry, one of our biggest adjustments was I was not used to. She called her mother every night and gave the daily update. And I didn't do that. My mom was lucky if she heard from me twice a month, maybe once a month. And you got the monthly update. Sherry gives mama a daily update. And I've had to grow accustomed to that. And that's kind of, Paul was one of these guys that he probably didn't talk a lot about his family. But his family came through and helped save his life. God raises up unknown and unlikely people. And he does the same for us today. Keep going here in your Bible. Acts chapter 23, verse 23. Now, actually, Chris, before we uh, get the words, let's throw our map up there. We're about to see a location change here. Here's our map of Israel. We are in uh, Jerusalem. But what's going to happen here is Jerusalem's right here. That's the headquarters. That's the capital. That's where the Sanhedrin meets. They wouldn't ever meet anywhere else. All the other cities are dumpy. They only meet in Jerusalem. That's, to them, that's the capital of the world. In many ways, Jerusalem is the capital of the world. It is where Jesus died. It's where Jesus rose again, too. What happened is, this whole region here of Israel, there's a city over here called Caesarea, right here. Here's Nazareth. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus is from. But Caesarea is an important city. And Caesarea is important because, remember, Israel was under Roman authority. And the main Roman, uh, kind of, where all the Roman leaders would be and where the Roman capital that would kind of manage all of Israel was right here at Caesarea. So it's also known as Caesarea, Caesarea by the Sea or Caesarea Marine Time there. So we're going to see here how God moved Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And by God doing that, through the, this little boy, actually saved his life. So I want you to pick up here in your Bibles. Acts chapter 23, verse 23. He summoned two of his centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at ninth night. So it's a, it's a nighttime move. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Felix was there in Caesarea. He's the governor. And he's who he's going, he's going, Paul will appear before Felix. He wrote the following letter. So what's happening here, this centurion is sending a letter to Felix. Claudius Lystrus. That's the name. That's how you, we don't address letters that like that anymore. Back in Bible times, what happened is you would, Write, like, if I was writing this name, say Daniel Osmond. And then, basically, who it's from goes first. To the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. When this man had been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, 
I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he's a Roman citizen. Remember, Paul revealed that he was a Roman citizen so he wouldn't be executed earlier. Wanting to know the, know the charge they were accusing him of, I brought him down before their Sanhedrin. That Sanhedrin is the Jewish ruling authorities. I found out that the accusations were concerning questions of their law and that there was no charge that merited death or imprisonment. Questions about their law. What that means is it's over religious stuff. You've got a Roman centurion, Claudius Lystris, and he's like, guys, I don't want to deal and I don't want to answer questions about the Bible. I'm not here for Bible interpretation. I'm here to enforce Roman law. All right. So he basically found there's no reason to kill this man. When I was informed that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you right away. I also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. So the soldiers took Paul during the night and brought him to into Paris as they were ordered. Verse 32. The next day, they returned to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go with him. When these men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. After he read it, he asked what province he was from. When they learned he was from Caesarea, he said, I will give you a hearing whenever your accusers also get here. He ordered that they be kept under guard in Herod's palace. So there it is. We see that what happened was Paul was transported and had this letter go with him, the spice soldiers, to get him to Caesarea. Now, obviously, the little 40-man ambush is going to have no effect in Caesarea. Caesarea is a Gentile city. It's the Roman capital. And surely not 40 religious men, part of the Sanhedrin, are going to travel up to an area they consider unclean and try to kill Paul. They just couldn't do it. There would be no way. So they're not going to have an opportunity. So I guess they'll just have to break their fast that they're taking since they're not eating or drinking. Now, I think what we want to see here, I think the biblical principle for us is to have it up here on the screen. We must remember that God can use secular governments to achieve his purposes. God can use a secular government, even our government, and the United States government, even though we were founded on religious liberty, even though our religious education system first used this book right here, the Bible, even though it started with God, unfortunately, our government, our education system, has become very secular. It might have religious beginnings, and it does have... I mean, we were founded by the pilgrims who were English separatists coming here to worship freely. Our education system was founded on the Bible. And now, we're at loss of losing those things. Do you love our country? Today, 
or it's the day after the 4th of July. Do you love being an American? I believe God has chosen our country. God has blessed our country. God has made our country a friend of Israel. God has made our country the greatest missionary sending country on earth in the history of all countries. God has raised up a seminary system for men and women who were called into the ministry to go and to study. God has raised up us as Southern Baptists as to be men and women who give to see the gospel go to the uttermost parts of the earth. In 1979, our country, our, our, the largest Protestant denomination was drifting left. It was going down the mainstream ways. God raised up a man named Adrian Rogers, pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in 1979, who helped redirect the Southern Baptist Convention being founded on the Bible. If we didn't have a conservative resurgence, if there wasn't a rise up and a stand for God's word, we would be like so many of the other denominations here in our city, in our, our country, that have just abandoned the teachings and the principles of God's word. Our nation, our country, we're proud to be an American. Now, we don't worship the flag. We don't worship our country. But we take pride in being an American. It's an honor to be able to come here on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. It's an honor to be able to worship freely among fellow believers and spend time in studying God's Word. Many folks cannot do that. Or their churches that they might go to they're not hearing this book preached and taught. They're hearing, they're hearing lies. They're hearing liberalism. They're hearing falsehood. They're hearing politics. They're hearing agendas. Paul here was hated by the Sanhedrin. He was despised by the Jews. Why? Because he believed the Scriptures. He believed Jesus was the Messiah. He believed the only hope was for men and women to be saved, which is true today, for people to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus. Have you done that? Have you turned from your sins and you've turned to Jesus? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Is Christ who you wake up and say, God, I'm yours today. I'm giving my time to you. I have another scripture passage up here. Paul was in dif difficult circumstances. Have you ever been in difficult and difficult times? Look at this. Last verse we're going to read tonight. I want you to turn in your Bibles. Remember book month of April? We um you know, in April it was um month of May. We went through the book April we went through Philippians. May we went through, I'm sorry, April, we went through Proverbs. May, we went through Philippians. Month of May, we, we, I preached on this Bible verse. Here we are already, it's July, and we need to remember this verse. I am sure of this, that he who started, or he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. God founded our nation, I believe. We're a free country. Great revivals have occurred here in the United States. We're blessed to live in America. But I want you to know, just like Israel, Israel was blessed in the Old Testament, and they turned away from the Lord. They abandoned the Ten Commandments. And do you know what God did? He allowed the neighboring nations to defeat Him. And He will do the same for our country. We are not as a nation promised tomorrow. The best thing that could ever happen here in America is for our country to be united around this book. I actually believe this book will change people's lives. You know, you know, you think about the radical things going on here in our nation. And statues are being torn down. And history is being rewritten left and right. And all these statues are being toppled. And I heard of one lady on the news. She said, you know, and she was mocked for saying this. She said, you know, if we're going to put statues up, we should start putting statues up of Bible characters, of great men and women in this Bible and the scriptures of faith in Christ. That's who we need to be pointing people back. How great would it be to see Moses there holding the Ten Commandments? Instead of seeing people here in America, we could see Abraham, the man of faith who followed the Lord. See a statue of David who is known as the man after God's own heart, the man who is repentant. Statues remember the past. And we need to remember the past of the Bible. Now, I'm not suggesting that we actually do this, because the Bible also says don't make a graven image. That's why a lot of folks don't wear a crucifix around their neck, because you're putting a statue, a graven image, of Jesus around your neck. That's why in many ways Protestants just wear the plain cross. Just like up there. And Catholics they wear the crucifix. But that's, that's because of the second commandment. Don't make a graven image. We, 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 don't, we worship the Lord. We, we can't see the Lord. The biblical principle for us. In Philippians 1.6. What Jesus started. What God started a new work in your life. If he has planted gospel seeds in your life, he will carry it on until completion. God doesn't give up. Jesus doesn't abandon us. And Jesus, hopefully, will not abandon our country. And we won't fall into a socialist nation. We are a nation. We are a place that God wants us to be able to freely come and worship him and honor him. Tonight, I want to close with something a little different. I'm going to pray for our nation. Because I believe we're in difficult circumstances. I believe there's a lot of believers who are starting to doubt the Lord. They turn on the news and they read their newspaper. And they think, what on earth is going on? What change is taking place? And God is speaking to us. And he's saying, he's calling, he's saying to us. You need to cry out and call out to me. And I, you return to me, I will come and heal your land. We're in desperate need for a healing right now. I'm going to close us 
to asking to pray for our nation. So we're, today is day after Independence Day. It's 4th of July weekend. And we're going to pray. have a special time of prayer for our nation, for our politicians, for the, those that God has put into authority to help guide and lead us. So I want you to bow your hand, head wherever you're at. You raise your hands as well. Dear Jesus, I pray for our country. I pray for our country to be restored to you. I pray for our country to return to your word, to be guided by your word, to be healed from all the unrest out there. Jesus, for the folks here at Broadway Baptist Church that love our country, that have seen so many, so many changes, Lord, I pray for the revival winds to blow, for folks to be saved. And maybe you're listening to this tonight and you need to be saved. Lord, for them to turn to you. Lord, you are the only way to salvation. Lord, I pray tonight. I pray that we remember these words that you used and moved to Paul even at the nighttime. You protected this man with unlikely people. His nephew heard about the plot and helped save him. Lord, raise us up. Use unlikely people in our lives to speak to us. Jesus, I pray tonight that if there's anyone here that needs to make a decision, that they will reach out and cry out and call out to you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, Pray for our nation. Pray for President Trump. Pray for Vice President Mike Pence. Pray for our congressman, our mayor, our governor. Lord, those you've put in charge in authority, governmental and educational authority to help lead, that they will be dependent on you. God, we give you this prayer. We thank you for our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this evening here at the Sunday night worship service. I want to hear from you. Send me a message on Facebook. Let me know how I can pray for you. Make sure you share this. Let folks know that you're watching, that you're proud to be part of our church. We are here every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You can tune in online and in person you can be here for our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. I hope to see you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Go on our church website and give so we can continue proclaiming and preaching the good news starting here in Lexington and going beyond. I will see you Wednesday night. God bless you.